You know, protests are something that we hear and see a lot pretty much lately, right? And maybe it's because of the 24-hour news cycle, maybe it's because of social media, or maybe that it's just happening more overall in the, in the grand scheme of things. But it seems more and more protests are starting up and, and people are making their voices hurt, right? No matter if they're right or wrong, whatever their accuracy is on the issue. And one of the biggest problems that we often see in protest movements is that they can turn violent rather quickly. And we've seen that a lot recently too, right? Regardless of your opinions on these two examples, I wanted to, to use one from each side. The BLM riot, riots of 2020, right? When protests turned into us watching major cities being set on fire. Businesses that were already shuttered by the, the COVID lockdowns being hit even harder by, by groups of people that were ransacking stores, beating business owners in the streets, people being killed. It was a crazy, crazy thing to watch unfold. But then there's also January 6th, right? Where, again, a protest turned violent. Breaking windows, pulling doors off of hinges in a building that many in this country find to be uh, sacred. Fights with police and ultimately the death of a woman in the Capitol that day. That, too, was a crazy thing to watch unfold. Things usually go this way when some type of agitators uh, or some sort of, of vandals, in a way, come in and turn something that may have been peaceful in the beginning into a riot. And it's never a good thing that when that happens, and it's been happening forever. We're going to get a, a good look at that type of situation this morning. Acts chapter 19, if you're there with me, we're going to be starting in verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul reserved and resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, I have, I have been there, I must also see Rome. And after he sent into Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Very quickly here, uh, uh, Paul makes a, a decision under the leading of the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem uh, on this long trek to Rome, right? And we'll get there soon, and I don't want to go into detail right now and possibly spoil it for some of you, but things are about to get wild, all right? And, and it doesn't go exactly the way that Paul and the others probably expected it to go. And the scene that occurs in Jerusalem uh, when we get to Acts chapter 21, and the consequences of what unfolds there are going to be what we cover in the rest of the book of Acts. But continuing on in verse 23 for this morning. <coughs> About that time, a major disturbance occurred in regard to the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing considerable business to the craftsmen. He gathered these men together with the worksmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. You see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all, all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. Not only is there danger 
Not only is there danger that is this trade of ours will fall, fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless, and, those, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Amen. Quick point here. Uh, depending on the translation that you're using this morning, uh, you may notice that where I said Artemis, your translation may say Diana, right? And overall, that's not really something to be overly concerned about. They're actually one and the same, right? The Greeks called this false goddess Artemis, where the Romans called her Diana. So depending on the manuscript tradition of where the language was is where it, how it was translated, Right? This is very similar to what we were talking about a few weeks ago with Ares and Mars in Acts 17 when uh, Paul was invited to speak at the Areopagus or Mars Hill, as most of us would, I, would know it. The name represents the same false god or goddess, but the different cultures of Rome and Greece and those different areas had different names for the same god. The backstory of the deity and all the functions are the same. So I just wanted to point that out there because I know that I was probably going to get questions about that one at the end of service. <laughs> Here in Ephesus, uh, they looked at Artemis as the mother goddess of Asia. So she was the supreme deity that everybody within this area worshipped. And, <clears throat> and this area even housed one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world, which was the temple dedicated to her, as you should see. Yep, you'll see right up there. People from all over would come and, and worship in this temple, and some worshiping, worshiping in some pretty unspeakable ways at the end of this. Uh, but they also sold models of this temple and have even statues of Artemis, as you will also see up there, uh, for worship within their home where they can make a shrine to this goddess. We can actually tell by history that this city and its temple were what we would really call today a little bit of a tourist attraction or, or a tourist trap. Right? That people would come in and they would spend all kinds of money on their travels, on, on souvenirs or even these figures that they could worship at home. Right? And I, I think we can say that human nature doesn't change very often, does it? Because we still do that today. But that right there, that is where we find the problem in our text. This is not only a, a spiritual concern that we're dealing here with in Ephesus, but more importantly to some of them, this is an economic concern as well. And in general, this is a, a pretty common scenario, right? You have somebody in a business that's doing really well. Uh, most commentators would point at Demetrius as a leader of some type of trade guild or trade association. So he has some type of sway over all these other business leaders in the same trade. And when somebody comes in and, and challenges their ability to sell their product and make their money off that product by bringing something better to the market, if you will, in this case, Paul bringing the gospel, they don't take very kindly to that. He gathers these craftsmen in the city to, to warn them about what Paul has been doing in Ephesus and all of Asia, really, <coughs> and the problems that this could cause them, mainly being their business interests. Right? He says in verse 25, men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And that's an important thing, right? He's looking at the numbers on the sales chart, and he's freaking out a little bit. 
the sales are plummeting, and if they really don't figure this thing out, they're all going to be out of a job and out on the street. It's clear to him that Paul is the one causing the issue. Because as people are getting saved, they didn't want these, these shrines anymore. They didn't want these little figures of Artemis anymore. And they were tossing them to the side, and they weren't buying them anymore. Demetrius, Demetrius uh, makes that clear in verse 26 where he says, Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. Which, of course, is 100% true, Amen. There's only one true and living God, and surely isn't a little silver statue of Artemis. Not only did Demetrius use economics in his argument, but he also used civic pride and, and spirituality, right? He says, the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless, and, she, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. So there's a, a full slate of reasons that could really get anybody upset. It's messing with your business, it's messing with your city, and most importantly to some people, it's messing with your money. By this logic, if Artemis falls, the city falls too. Because there's no need for anybody to come here and worship this false goddess if there's no reason to. And for a moment here, I just want to bring up how powerful and profound God is working through Paul at this time. Even where this, <coughs> enough to where this doesn't just seem to be, to most people, some weird offshoot cult of the Jewish faith, right? It's making enough waves that it has businessmen completely worried that their sales are plummeting on their idolatry. Paul is making that much of an impact, and that's amazing. And it's all the work of God throughout him. We continue on. Uh, verse 28. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began shouting and saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they, were, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's Macedonian travel companions. Hmm? I lost myself. That's not good. All right, I'm going to do it right here because the text is bigger. <laughs> and when Paul, when Paul wanted to go to the assembly, the disciples would not let him. And some of the Ari, Ari, uh, Asiarchs, I knew I was going to mess that word up, who were friends uh, of his sent word to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know what for what reason they had come together. Some in the crowd concluded that it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all and they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Demetrius's uh, plan worked here. Right? The men were stirred up in the anger and they began to protest. But one could imagine that it probably went a little bit further than what he initially expected. Right? He probably just wanted to run Paul out of town. But now the crowds turned violent, dragging Paul's companions into the theater. And this theater itself is, is amazing. They ended up uh, being able to 
uncover this, uh, this theater, and it held close to 20,000 people within it. And this situation is getting much more serious by, by every moment that passes. They're all confused about what they're doing, what they're even mad at, really. And, and nothing winds up a crowd faster than mass amounts of people in one area that have no idea why they're there. But within the chaos, God's divine providence stands unshaken again. While the rioters seize Paul's companions, the, the hand of God protects Paul from that harm. Paul is stopped not only by the Christians in Ephesus, but also the officials of the providence of Asia Minor from entering the theater because they knew what would happen to him if he stepped foot in there. These people were, were enraged and, and probably would have killed Paul upon him entering that building and everybody realizing who he was. Beaten by this massive crowd that was gathered there. It's a powerful, powerful reminder that God has a plan. And no earthly opposition can prevent his purposes from coming to pass. Amen? A man named Alexander is set in front of the crowd and tries to defend the situation, most likely trying to protect the Jews overall from what may come of this. But the crowd shouts him down for two hours. Can you imagine that for a moment? Can you imagine the noise from this? The, peop the, ar or the uh, archaeologists that found this theater say that the acoustics was just amazing in that place. So just imagine, even if, yes, it, it holds a little over 20,000 people, but just imagine 1,000 people in there. Imagine a room like this, where everybody was just screaming for two hours. Is scary, right? <laughs> Must have been deafening in that place. It had to be, it just, yeah, I don't even want to think about it anymore. So we're going to go ahead and <laughs> jump to our last section here, 30, starting in 35. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what person is there after all what person is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and the image of which fell down from the sky? So, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of, the goddess, of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the, crafts, and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Have them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in <clears throat> the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real reason for it. And in this, and in this connection, we will, be able, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. I'll tell you, I can't read this morning to save my life. So, the town clerk, uh, most likely what we would be what we would consider today a, a mayor, um, attempts to calm the crowd, right? He reminds them that uh, Ephesus is the, is the place that housed this temple, and what, they really, what he means here when he says that it fell from the sky. What they actually worshipped within the temple was a meteorite. 
that had come down to earth. And what they did was they ended up fashioning around this meteorite uh, the, image of, the image of a woman. Um, and it was actually a pretty gross image of a woman. Um, you would have seen the uh, picture of the statue up there. All of those little protruding areas on her were breasts. That's what all of those were. <laughs> because she was a goddess of fertility. And like I said, when I said that they would do unspeakable things in that temple, I mean that they would do unspeakable things in that temple. And we're going to leave it right there. <coughs> so the clerk was asserting that there's no need to be alarmed by Paul and his companions because they have a direct link from their gods to their land in the temple. And it would not be defeated. And I have to say, how wrong was that? Right? Do you see anybody worshiping Artemis anymore? Do you see anybody worshiping Zeus anymore? No. But people are still worshiping Christ. Because he is the true God and flesh. Amen? He goes on to advise the people to bring legal charges against Paul through the proper channels. Rather than resorting to violence and rioting. And he does this because Ephesus was under complete control by Rome. And listen, if there is one thing that the Romans hated, it was this kind of stuff right here. They wanted nothing to do with rioting in one of their cities. And they weren't going to take this situation lightly if they found out about it. So that worked. These people did not want to be punished by Rome. They calmed down, and he dismisses them, and that's where we end the reading this morning. So what can we, as 21st century Christians, take from this portion of Scripture? How can we take this, this piece of history that we have in front of us and apply it to our lives? Right? What's the so what in this text? I think I can start here, and it's the clash of worldviews. Like the clash between Paul's message and the idolatry of Artemis, Modern society that we live in presents a, a clash of worldviews in its own right. As Christians, we often find ourselves at odds with cultural norms, cultural values that, that contradict biblical principles. Whether it be secularism, materialism, or even belief that there is no objective moral standard at the end of the day. We must stay, stand firm in our convictions. Stand firm while engaging grace and truth with the culture, amen? Another thing that we could pull from this is the divine providence of God, right? We've talked about that a lot lately. Just as God protected Paul <clears throat> within the riot in Ephesus, we as believers can trust in God's care. Even in the midst of all the unrest and the uncertainty, we can, rest, we can be rest assured that God is sovereign and he is working out his purposes in our lives and the world around us. Amen? Seeking peace and justice. The intervention of the town clerk or the mayor underscores the, the importance of peace and justice in our society. Today, believers are called to be agents of reconciliation, right? Advocate, advocates for righteousness. We should strive to promote unity, to, to have respect for the rule of law and the dignity of all people while also standing firm against injustice. Lastly, we all have these, 
we all have these ideas that we're really passionate about, right? Things that we feel like if were taken from us that, that it would be the end of the world. All these things that we think we have all the answers for and there's, and there's no other way to see it. And if you do have another way to see it, you're actually just the problem and you need to be uh, educated in the way to think about things. Which, of course, is the, way you will, is the way that you think about it, right? But my friends, we have the capacity to be wrong as human beings. And can I just say that if, for whatever reason, your idea, however you get to it, whether it be the way that you interpret scripture or it's the way that you look at the world through some humanistic viewpoint, if your idea is so flimsy that you need to resort to violence to get your point across, maybe it's a really bad idea. It's probably not the the best idea in the market. And it's probably the least compelling argument at the end of the day. We've seen that over a lot in the last few years, right? Really spanning back 10, 15 years ago, that, that violence seems to be the way that we want to get things done around here. Drumming people up, sending them out into points of confusion, and nobody knows what's really going on. Nobody knows how to comprehend it. My friends, we need to reconsider our approach with the way that we deal with each other. Because even if we win the argument at the end of the day, going at it with violence and and all of that, it's not going to be a long-lasting, viable solution. The other side is just going to come back with the same type of actions, the same type of tactics as we've seen. And it always ends badly. And if we don't realize that that here in this, if we don't realize that here in the States, we're going to be in a really bad spot. And we're already coming close. Violence doesn't make something that isn't true, true. It only makes the participants that participate in the violence wrong. Church grace and and truth have been a hallmark of Christian teaching since the day that Christ proclaimed it. And even if we need to, even, even if there is something that we think is wrong, and even if it's something that we need to take serious steps to try and challenge it, We need to lead with peace and truth and grace, just as Christ did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for another day to open up your word, to to take some of the wisdom that's within it. Lord, grant us the, the wisdom to discern truth amidst the chaos. Help us to stand firm in our faith, and even when we're faced with opposition. May our actions be guided by the love and our outward, outward thoughts be, be guided by grace and truth, just as you have told us to do. That we may bring peace and understanding to all those around us. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen.